Good morning, Vista family. My name is Sydney, and we're so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. And if it's your first time with us, we would love to connect with you. So if you could go right now to the vista.tv connect and fill out our digital connect form, um, someone on our staff will reach out to you this week. And then if it's your second time, fifth time, maybe even your 10th time, I just wanna encourage you and challenge you to invite someone new. So pull out your phone right now and text them and you can empower someone to join worship this morning. And right now is the easiest time ever to invite someone to worship because they can just come in their pajamas, they can hop on within five minutes. So shoot somebody a text and invite them to join us this morning. Um, so before we get into worship, I'm gonna read from Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And this psalm has brought me so much comfort this week because it encourages us that we're not in control because our shepherd is taking care of us and we don't have to be afraid. And so I just hope that this morning that you can find your green pastures and your quiet waters to sit and worship and really let the Lord restore your soul this morning. So let's worship together. We've seen what you can do, oh God of wonders. Your power has no end. The things you've done before in greater measure, you will do again. There's no prison wall you can't break through, no mountain you can't move, all things are possible. There's no broken body you can't raise, no soul that you can't save, all things are possible. Oh, the darkest night. No 
Come awaken your people. Come awaken the city. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. I hear the chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival, pour it out.
cancel even right now. Even right now, God. With so many people facing anxiety and fear over what we're facing with the coronavirus and this pandemic and people that are walking through things in their lives, even aside from that, we choose right now to give you praise, not because our circumstances are good, but because you're worthy. So we give you all glory, all honor, all praise. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Before we jump into the message today, I wanted to take just a minute to give you an exciting update. So last week, Dave spoke about the importance of putting God first in all areas of our life, but he specifically challenged us to evaluate our finances. Now, many of you have continued to faithfully give while facing so much financial uncertainty through all of this, and I know several people have even began to give for the very first time in just the last few weeks as you began to let go of control of the one thing that you were holding on to, your money, and choose to put God first. And we regularly talk about how one of the coolest things we get to do as a church is to pool all of our resources, all of our monies together to fuel the church and make Jesus known, both by our neighbors, our city, and in our world. And so over the next few weeks, we're excited to take a few minutes each Sunday to share a story of how your faithful giving is making a really huge impact. Hey everybody, my name is Jonah and I serve as the missions pastor here at Vista and today I'm coming to you with an exciting message. As we all know, um, COVID-19 began kind of rocking our community in March of this year. Um, and over the next couple of months, we got to join alongside a number of our local ministry partners to help meet the needs that they had. Due to the economic impacts of COVID-19, uh, we know that many families in our community have struggled to make ends meet during this time due to loss of job or hours or that sort of thing. And our community partners have been vital in helping meet the needs of these families over the course of the past several months. And at Vista, our church has been very generous um, over the past few months, even in response to COVID-19, that um, people have continued to give generously and it's allowed us to continue to support these partners. But our elders felt that it was important that we even went above and beyond in the season to be generous to our partners. So we're here at Helping Hands and we're pleased to announce that Vista has agreed to give a gift of $15,000 to Helping Hands to help meet operational needs and increase their capacity over the course of the next few months and into the next year as they look to serve families in need in our community in response to COVID-19. And so today I got to sit down with Tasha, the director of Helping Hands, um, and have a conversation about their needs and also what they've seen God do over the past couple of months. My name is Tasha Roberts and I'm the Executive Director of Helping Hands Ministry of Belton. Helping Hands Ministry works with families uh, that are struggling to make ends meet, primarily living in the eastern part of Bell County. And one of the ways that we do that is through our Client Choice Food Pantry. Families who may have gotten services with us six months ago or a year ago um, have returned because um, maybe there's been the loss of a job or someone in their home has been furloughed. And so even though they were on their feet and stable for a little while, um, some instabilities come back into their life. Um, we have senior citizens uh, that we serve who are nervous about getting out of their home 
and going to the grocery store and things like that. And so they're relying on us a little bit more than they have in the past. Um, and so those are some of the major things that we've seen. So whenever um, COVID-19 started, we went ahead and closed our building to keep our neighbors and our volunteers safe, but we immediately switched over to home delivery model. So families could call in and schedule a home delivery and we would take their groceries and set them on their front porch. Um, we did that from April through June. And at the beginning of July, we have transitioned to a curbside model. We really wanted to get back to client choice because that's important to us. There's value in being able to, uh, in dignity and being able to choose your groceries for your family um, based on their likes, their medical conditions and things like that. And it prevents waste. We have access right now to some foods like fresh milk, cheese, butter, and things like that that we can't deliver and set on a porch. So by doing curbside, we're able to get some of those foods out to families as well. And um, our clients have responded really well to the curbside. Um, they've been really patient with us as we've gone to a new model. We're a community ministry. And so without the support of our church partners, individual volunteers, local businesses, community groups, we don't exist. Um, Helping Hands really is about neighbors loving neighbors. And so there's no way for us to be able to serve our community without support from churches and individuals. Well, we are planning to put that money to use in two different ways. Um, one of the first ways is by expanding and remodeling our food pantry whenever we are able to reopen. You know, the dignity of the families that we serve is important to us. And the condition and the, the space communicates that non-verbally whenever families come in. We want them to understand that they're worthy of a nice space to shop for their groceries and things like that. Our facilities are great so far, but they are aging a little bit, and so it's time to give them an update and freshen them up. Um, one of the things that's important to us is giving families the ability to choose what they need um, and to offer them options at a price point that they can afford um, because there's dignity in providing for your family that sometimes gets taken away during the process of relying on someone else to do that. And so by expanding Laura Mays, um, we plan to add men's and children's clothes and shoes um, along with household items into the shop. That way we will have a location for families who live in this community to come and shop for things that they need at a price that they can afford. And for families who are in crisis situations, we can give them gift cards to go into the shop and actually select what they need for their families um, without having that expense. Thank you guys so much. Uh, for your enthusiasm and your love for our neighbors and our community. Um, our community wouldn't be the same without that. Well, hey everyone, my name is Jonah and I serve as the missions pastor here at Vista. And thank you so much for joining us to worship today from home. Over the past uh, few months, we've been working our way through a series called Did God Really Say? in which we've been asking um, our questions about these uh, famous Christian sayings that we may have heard before and wondering, is this actually found in Scripture? Is this something that God really said? And so today I thought it'd be good to ask our, ourselves, did God really say that you, we, are the light of the world? So as I was preparing for this week, I was thinking over the past few months that we've all experienced. And at, at a certain point, it became apparent that our church staff would need to work from home in order to help keep each other safe and healthy. And during this time, I realized that this might be a challenge for my wife and I to both uh, work at home full-time and care for a one-year-old whose daycare was shut down for about seven weeks. 
And so we had to navigate what that looked like all within the same square footage. And at times uh, during the season, I would take a break or I'd go out on our back deck to work. Um, and in, in my outdoor office that I established there at my house, I started to notice some things about my neighborhood which I hadn't noticed before. And one of those being that one of my neighbors during the course of quarantine took up um, trying to learn the skill of playing the trumpet. And so at first it really sounded like there was a dying elephant somewhere in my neighborhood. But eventually we started to work our way toward Mary Had a Little Lamb or Hot Cross Buns. Maybe you've learned that if you ever played the recorder or anything like that. And at first, the, the trumpet player was an annoyance to my morning. I mean, imagine trying to navigate Zoom calls with a dying elephant in the background every time you go to speak. But eventually, as, as the days wore on, um, this neighbor of mine um, playing the trumpet, this unknown neighbor, um, became a sense of comfort and of hope and of peace, in a sense. It became comfortable and familiar um, to listen for this neighbor playing the trumpet. And I, I still don't know who the mystery trumpet player is. Maybe it's one of you. And if so, I'm really sorry about the dying elephant comment. But I know that in the midst of some confusing and challenging and sometimes dark days, that this trumpet player playing Mary Had a Little Lamb became a sense of peace and of hope and of light to me. And throughout the last couple of months, I think these small glimmers of peace and hope and light have meant a lot to many of us. So we have to be honest, since March, many of our lives don't look the same as they ever did before. We're living in the midst of a global pandemic. Many of us have had to figure out how to work from home and care for kids at the same time. Not to mention the fact that our country is in a, in a moment of important racial reckoning, and there's a lot of tension around that. There's um, fears of long-term economic implications of this season and questions about who is ultimately responsible for it all. Not to mention all of you parents who had to learn how to do second grade fractions. And now you have that fear in the pit of your stomach that you're about to have to do it again within the next few weeks. When we pause to think about it, these have been some dark and challenging days at times. And if you're like me, in the midst of times and in seasons that are challenging, that are dark, it's, it's easy to turn inward. It's easy to become um, pessimistic and negative in our attitude especially as days have dragged on longer than any of us anticipated that this season would, and even the smartest professionals among us don't know how long this is going to last. Over the past few months, my wife has had to call me out multiple times about my negativity and pessimism and let me know, hey, that's, that's not okay, and that's not the way that we should live. But I, I imagine I'm not alone in feeling this way. At times, maybe you felt as if you were being pressed in on, on all sides, that, that, that the fear and anxiety of this situation just gripped you, and you could feel it. You could feel your body being pressed in on. And it's normal to have this type of reaction in times of fear. Uh, when you have a visceral reaction, your body is literally saying, this situation is not good. It is normal and human to be fearful. And as one of your pastors hear me say that, it's normal and human to be afraid at times. But maybe others of us, maybe we aren't really afraid at all. Maybe we're just annoyed. Maybe we're annoyed about a change to our lives and schedules, annoyed about having to wear masks or practice physical distancing. Maybe we're annoyed or frustrated about canceled vacations or time with family. Maybe we're irritated or annoyed or even hurt about having to job hunt in the middle of our career because of something completely outside of your control. 
And let me tell you, as one of your pastors, it is normal and human to be irritated and annoyed at times. Frustration is a normal thing to experience. And honestly, I think this moment of fear and frustration is not just something that we are feeling, but our world now is in a moment of fear and frustration. And we're here thrust in the middle of it. And if you're like me, you probably think, man, God has probably called me to do something in the middle of all of this. But what is that? And so in the midst of the fear and frustration, we ask ourselves, did God really say that we, that you and me, are supposed to be the light of the world? And if God did say that, what does that even look like? So at several points throughout this series, we've turned to the Sermon on the Mount which is a collection of teachings from Jesus found within the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And in these chapters, Jesus lays out before his earliest followers a new way of how they're supposed to live. And that's why it's been great for us to use to answer some of these did God really say questions. As we read the words of Jesus found in these chapters, it's important for us to imagine what it would have felt like for Jesus to say these words to his earliest followers. Jesus spoke these things while looking into the eyes of people who he knew would be ostracized from their family and friends, who would be persecuted by Roman and Jewish authorities, and they would face incredible hardships as they they sought to live out the things that Jesus was calling them to. Jesus knew that many of these people would experience fear and annoyance far more than any of us probably ever will. So at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus lays out what has been called the Beatitudes, in which he tells those gathered before him that following him will probably not look like a walk in the park. He lets them know that persecution, struggle, and challenges are promised as they seek to live in the way that he has called them to. He even says, blessed are those who've been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. But then, beginning in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus provides some instruction for how the community of early Jesus followers was supposed to live. And this is where we'll be looking at today. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So in this passage, the word you is intended to be read in the plural. You might not have known, but in Greek, the language of the New Testament, there's a tense which means essentially y'all or you all. So Jesus is saying y'all are the salt of the earth. And later, Jesus will compare his followers additionally to the light of the world. But before we get there, it's important to point out that this language is spoken and written in a way that the followers of Jesus are not salt and light by anything that they do themselves, but simply because of who Jesus says that they are. This is not an action that they are to do, but it's instead an identity which has been assigned to them. And so when we decide to to commit to the way of Jesus, we become both salt and light. But what does Jesus mean when he says that you are salt and light? Well, first, salt. You are the salt of the earth. There's various different interpretations of what being salt of the earth even means. It's commonly believed that in the ancient world that salt was used to purify food and other things. And so many have concluded that Jesus must be calling his earliest followers to live pure and righteous lives and not give in to the temptations that the world has to offer. Jesus seems to be calling those who follow him to live righteously and faithfully and pure. 
Now, other scholars have presented other interpretations of this passage, but regardless of how they read it, all scholars agree on one thing, and that is that salt in and of itself does not exist for its own purpose. And here's what we mean when we say that. When you think about salt, we've already said salt was used in the ancient world to purify food, but then we also know that human bodies need sodium to survive, which is found in salt. Salt is used to flavor food, and we also know that in places where it actually snows, unlike Texas, salt is used to melt ice on roads. We know that, that salt has purposes outside of itself. And what be, when it becomes unusable for those purposes, it's not worth anything. It's thrown out. And there's no use and no purpose. And this is what Jesus seems to be saying to his earliest followers and to the church today. Jesus seems to be saying, you do not exist for yourselves. And here what Jesus is telling us today, Vista, you do not exist for yourselves. And so even in times of fear and frustration, followers of Jesus don't have the privilege of thinking that we exist only for ourselves. No matter how fearful or frustrated I may be, my identity has been assigned to me the moment that I said, Jesus, your way is better. And so I don't get to wake up one day and decide, you know, I don't really feel like being the salt of the earth today. No, no, Jesus has said, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus has assigned this identity to us and given us this purpose. And so we recognize we don't live for our own selves, for our own will and purposes, but the purpose that Jesus has assigned us to. Well, what is this purpose? I'm glad you asked. Starting in verse 14, Jesus begins to lay that out. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the home. So in the next section of this passage, Jesus calls his followers the light of the world. And he says that they are to be a city on a hill where journeyers, travelers from far off can see the light that they provide. Notice Jesus doesn't say, I am the light of the world, or that the Bible is the light of the world, but he says, no, you, y'all, are the light of the world. And so what is the purpose of light is a question that we have to ask. Similar to salt, light doesn't have a purpose in and of and for itself. The purpose of light is to illuminate, to provide direction, to give perspective, and to offer outlook. And so for this reason, light has historically been used in literature, art, and film as a mean or a sign of peace, hope, and comfort. Imagine as Jesus is teaching this group of followers before him in the ancient world without electricity. If you're on a journey at nighttime and you're only guided by the light of the moon and the stars, but what about when it gets cloudy and you have nothing to guide you? A city on a hill is a beacon of hope, of peace, in a comfort, when you can look and see the light shining in the windows of a city on a hill, you have a way forward. And that's what Jesus seems to be calling his earliest followers to do and is calling the church today. That the church, the people of God, are to be a bright beacon of hope when the world feels dark. The church, we, are to be a beacon of hope in a dark world. And so when the world around us seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, when there's a global pandemic happening outside of our doors— when we're living in the midst of a violently partisan political season, Jesus says, you, y'all, are the light of the world. And that we are to be a living invitation to the hope and peace that we can find only in Jesus. That we are to invite 
the world to experience that peace and that hope. And this is our identity. This is the purpose that Jesus has assigned to us in a fearful and frustrated world. In his book, To Change the World, author James Davidson Hunter takes a shot at answering the question, how do we, the church, change the world? And he makes a striking argument that the Christian church is not to be defensive against culture, relevant to culture, or disengaged from culture. Those are all typical models of how people have tried to engage the world. Instead, Hunter argues that Christians are to be a faithful presence of peace within the midst of the world. He writes this, If indeed there is a hope or an imaginable prospect for human flourishing in the contemporary world, it begins when the word of shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace, becomes flesh in us and is enacted through us toward those with whom we live and the tasks we are given and in the spheres of influence in which we operate. We are to give light, to illuminate the way toward peace and hope that we have found in the one who has reoriented the world. And we're called to embody this in the very community in which we live. Now, Jesus wraps up this section of teaching with verse 16, Matthew chapter 5, 16. He says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus makes it clear that our being the light of the world is intended to bring notice and glory to God. That when we live faithfully in this way, people will look at us and wonder about the character and person of God. They'll ask, who is this God that is still active and moving in the world that leads these people to live in this way? By the way that we live as salt and earth, as salt and light with all, in the world, people ought to be learning about the love and hope that we've found from God. But how do we do that? What does it look like for us to do this? And I think as we try to be a people that live as the salt and light for the world, these are the things that we have to ask ourselves. Two questions. So the first question that we have to ask ourselves is, am I living for myself or the purpose that God has called me to? Am I living for myself or the purpose that God has called me to? So if we're living in a way in which we are consumed with our own privilege, rights, and individual autonomy, we're probably not living as the light of the world. So as we seek to answer that question, we need to ask, where am I spending my time, my money, and my mental and emotional capacity? Now, if all of our time is going to our own needs and wants, if all of our money is going to purchasing things for ourselves, if all of our mental and emotional capacity is going to our own needs and desires, then we probably aren't living as the light of the world. And so maybe you need to be living more generously. Or maybe you need to take the time to walk across the street and actually introduce yourself to that neighbor who you don't know their name. Maybe you need to call that family member or, or friend who you've been meaning to check up on and, and just haven't. Maybe you need to take the step and, co and commit yourself to a small group of Christian people who will love and pastor you in the way that you truly need it. Where do you need to look at how you spend too much of your time money, and emotional and mental capacity on yourself. So that first question you have to ask is, am I living for myself or the purpose that God has called me to? And second of those two questions is, am I providing light or am I perpetuating darkness? Because we, as, as a people who follow the way of Jesus, we're called to provide light and not perpetuate darkness. And so think about this. The next time that you're tempted to hit share, like, posts or retweet, you have to ask yourself, am I providing light or, or am I perpetuating darkness? 
And honestly, I think when it comes to social media, that scale leans one way rather than the other. Or, or maybe the next time you're at work, or at the water cooler, or at the dinner table, or another place, and, and the po- political banter starts up, and you just know you have that sucker punch line to deliver, maybe ask yourself, am I providing light or am, am I perpetuating darkness? And maybe in a few weeks when school starts up, fingers crossed, and, and that parent cuts you off and cuts you off in the, the drop-off or pickup line, and you're ready to jump out of the minivan and throw hands right there in front of all the kindergartners. Ask yourself, am I providing light or am I perpetuating darkness? Because Vista, we are a people who have been called to provide light and hope in our community and not to perpetuate darkness. And this is what our neighbor, city, and world need at a time such as this, is that we be a people who provide light and not darkness. So we have to ask ourselves, am I providing light or am I perpetuating darkness? So imagine what our community would look like if a group of people from our church committed to living in a way in which they were first focused on others and not on themselves. And then imagine if that group of people committed to giving witness to the hope of the gospel found in Jesus to a dark world that seems at times to be burning down around them. What if we weren't consumed with a national narrative that's outside of our control or whether we agreed or didn't, didn't agree with the way that our leaders are handling a situation? But what if we instead um, didn't hold our time, money, and emotional energy for ourselves? What if we said, what does it look like for us to be light in the world at this time? And so whether we're fearful or frustrated or both, as followers of Jesus, we have been assigned an identity. That we've committed ourselves to believe that neither fear nor frustration control the way that we live our lives. Instead, we've committed to a life that seeks to give witness to a God who's offered peace and hope in the world, no matter what our circumstances may be. And so it'll take courage, curiosity, and compassion, that's for sure. But when all seems to be burning down around us, what if we were a people who learned how to play the trumpet on the back porch for our neighbors? When everything's going down around us, what if we offered peace and hope and light? And so yes, God really did say that we, you and me, are to be the light of the world in the midst of all of the fear and frustration. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for our time together today. And thank you that you've offered us a sense of peace and hope and light in a season such as this. And God, we pray that we lean into the calling that you have given us, the identity that you have given us, and that we adopt that. And we say, God, when everything around us seems to be falling, that we would be an example of peace and hope and light in our world. And that we would invite others to experience what you continue to do in the world around us. God, we love you, and we commit to being on mission for our neighbors, our city, and our world. We'll say amen. There's a grace when your heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire standing next to me. There was another in the fire. Holding back the 
that's where you'll be I'll count the joy come every battle Cause I know that's where you'll be Thank y'all so much for joining us for worship today. Uh, before you go, I wanted to give you a few updates. So first one, we are in our second week of our Sponsor a Student campaign, and we do this every year, and we continue to partner with Project Apple Tree and Backpack Buddies to serve students in both uh, Temple and the Belton areas to make sure that we're able to help provide the basic essentials to make sure they have a successful start to the school year, you know, a few weeks later than we expected. But last week, uh, you guys helped us to sponsor over 100 students worth over $6,000 committed to our community. Uh, we still have 40 students left to be sponsored, and we could use your help. So, like I mentioned last week, instead of going to the store and purchasing all the different things, we're simply asking you to go online to sponsor a kid, and then we'll go out and purchase all the supplies in bulk from local businesses. So you can do this online today at thevista.tv slash city. And I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who's already helped to make this happen so far. And then shifting gears, last year we launched a new recovery ministry called Regeneration. So uh, if you're not familiar, Regen is a 12-step discipleship journey that leads to recovery. And they do this by working through biblical steps with um, tons of amazing, authentic people around them. And they ultimately find freedom from substance abuse and pornography and fear and control and anger and many other personal struggles that we've all faced at different times. So uh, just a few weeks ago, actually, we had our first graduating class that has completed the course. But when COVID-19 changed things up, we had to put a pause on taking any new people into Regen for a little while. However, we have good news and we are ready to reopen Regen for anyone new that could use a little help. Now, I know this has been a hard season for many of us and things have been brought to the surface and Regen is a great place to process through whatever you're struggling with and to find the support you need. So you can find out more, you can sign up, you can even watch the first session online at thevista.tv slash region. And finally, uh, as a brief update to where we are when it comes to regathering uh, for corporate worship on Sundays in our building. Um, we're continuing to take this as a week-by-week -week basis. Uh, it looks like in our community, the good and the bad news is that we are kind of peaking in terms of our numbers. Um, obviously, we never wanted that to happen, uh, but the good thing is maybe we're coming to the, the back side of it where things could start slowing down over the next few weeks. So we don't want to make a decision too quickly that influences those numbers going right back up. We really want to see a trend for a week or two before we make any big decisions. Uh, but we will continue to consult with uh, the public health department, with local officials, with other churches. Um, last week, uh, specifically, we met with someone from the health department in our building to walk through all of our policies and protocols and how we're doing everything we can to keep people safe. And we got a pretty good thumbs up that this is a pretty good way to go about it, all things considered. And so um, we're planning to reopen soon. We just haven't quite picked the day until we get to see the numbers uh, on a couple week trend. So we'll keep you posted. We'll continue to meet regularly and you will not miss out when we decide that we are going to start to reopen in some way or form for corporate worship again. So thank you all for tuning in. I know there's a lot of updates. Make sure you sponsor a student. Make sure you get signed up for Regen if you want to. And thank you to everyone 
that's been continuing to faithfully give to the Vista to keep so many amazing things happening in our community and around the world. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week online, probably, I think. We'll see.